0: Good morning. Hey, before we get started this morning, just wanted to let you guys know about a couple things. Uh, This, we didn't have all the details before uh, for when I made the announcement video, so I wanted to make an announcement. We're doing a special gift for our Haiti mission. So if you don't know much about that, we have about a little over 200 families that are a part of our Gateway Mission Haiti. And we would like to bless them this year with some Christmas, uh, kind of a Christmas offering so if you would be interested in, in filling out a card, just writing our, we actually have some. There's the table out there, like a little white table out there. And then our starting point table, they have some cards. If you want to grab one, kind of write a, just a, a Merry Christmas card to a family in Haiti. And then we're trying to uh, be able to give each family at least $25. So we're not asking you to like, write a check to an individual in Haiti. If you would just, if you want to be a part of that, you can write a check to Gateway and just put in the memo line uh, Christmas in Haiti or Haiti Christmas or whatever. And if you want to do that online, you can do the same thing. Just put in the memo part. You can, you can designate the, that it goes to Haiti and then put in the memo, the you know Christmas gift or whatever. Uh, again, what we're trying to do is give at least $25 to all of our families there. And if you know anything about Haiti, you know $25 goes very far for, for those families. So if you'd be interested in doing that, we need that by December 27. Uh, the other thing I wanted to let you know about, well, besides our little QR code we'll put up there, that's for if you need message notes, or if you want to check out the announcement page, it does have that announcement in there and, and some of the others we talked about. But I just wanted to give you a little update. On our student ministry search, Uh, we're in the process of searching for a new student minister. Brian, our student minister, is, if you hadn't heard, taking a new role at the church as executive minister. So it's going to encompass all of our campuses and uh, a lot of administrative parts to that role. So we're going to be phasing him out starting January 1st. He'll be phasing into his new role and phasing out of student ministry. But it's kind of going to be a process. So he's going to be here through, you know, for a little while. So uh, I did put out this this past week uh, a jobs ad in a lot of our Christian colleges. They have a lot of job postings for ministers at our Christian colleges, and so I've already started receiving resumes. What we're going to do is we're going to take some time to gather those resumes and start praying over them, and looking through them, and then we'll start the filtering process where we start talking to some of those candidates over the phone, and then we'll filter it down from there to to begin some in-person interviews. Our goal, ideally, is we would love to have the person in by April 1st, and that's pretty fitting for student ministry, putting them starting at, you know, April Fool's Day. Um, That's a joke. (laughs) Uh, So, Ideally, we'd love to have the person in place by April 1st. That gives some time for Brian to kind of transition into his role. And and anyway, so hopefully that's what happens. But we are not, like that's ideal. We're not pushing to get someone here by April 1st. We are pushing to get the right person in place. There's no way we want to just fill this role. This is such an important role. So we are prayerfully looking over these resumes and we would ask that you be praying through that process uh, as well. Uh, again, we, we see our, our student ministry, children's ministry are vital to what we do and we want to get the right people in the right place. So, That's just a quick update about this. So I don't know if you realize this or not, but 2020 has been a little bit of a different year, right? Just a little. (laughs) And one of the markings of this year has been the cancellation of a lot of things. You know, we've seen the Olympics be canceled, March Madness be canceled, a lot of sporting events are canceled. Broadway shows, movie productions were canceled. My daughters, my older two, they were so looking forward to a couple of the uh, Marvel movies coming out this year, and those got canceled. Maybe you had an elective surgery, and, and it got canceled. You know, here at the church, we've had to cancel some of our biggest events. We we canceled or kind of changed around our VBS. We had to cancel the lockout, our Halloween party. And, and for me, the most difficult one was when I had to cancel our Jesus prom. And all of you, you've had regular routines and scheduled gatherings that have been impacted. Maybe you had to cancel a vacation or you've had sporting events or band concerts, choir concerts, musicals, uh, tournaments. They've been canceled. Uh, Sarah and I, we, we had our uh, we had to cancel our 20th wedding anniversary uh, trip that we were going to take, that we were supposed to take back in May. And so we've rescheduled it, hopefully, for our 21st anniversary. Um, maybe, maybe this Thanksgiving, you know, was very different for you. Thanksgiving was different for us. Uh, I'm not a super nostalgic guy, but it was really sad for me. My parents texted me this picture of themselves at their dining room table on Thanksgiving. And the text said, our last Thanksgiving at this house and I, didn't real, I had, you know, hadn't really thought about it. They're going to be moving into a condo sometime in 2021. And I'm super excited for them. But I, I hadn't really thought, oh my goodness, that's the last Thanksgiving for our family in that house. And it's just them. you know This will be the last Christmas in that house. Um, and so you know it was a little bit sad for me uh, to think about that. So things have changed. And it almost feels like with so many other things being canceled that, that many people think, well, Christmas will just be canceled too, right? Now certainly it might feel a little bit different this year. Maybe, maybe some of the traditions that you typically have are going to change or maybe they will be canceled. But we need to remember that Christmas isn't canceled because Jesus isn't canceled. And so in this series, what we're going to be doing is we're, we're going to look at some attempts that were made to cancel Christmas or cancel what came about because of Christmas, Again, though, you can't cancel Christmas if you can't cancel Jesus. But there was an attempt to do just that. And so the first thing you need to understand is that the birth of Jesus was planned from the very beginning. The birth of Jesus was planned from the very beginning. This wasn't just some cosmic accident. God's plan for redemption was always Jesus. Listen to what John said in his gospel in the first chapter, starting in verse 1. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here, when John's talking about the Word, he's referring to Jesus. Jesus is the Word. And this Word, Jesus, in verse 2, was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so John transitions from calling Jesus the word to then calling him the light. And he says in verse nine that this true light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. In other words, this was the plan that Jesus would come into this world. And how would he make his way into the world? Verse 14 says that the word became flesh. God took on flesh and was born a baby and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Years ago, I went to a debate on the campus at Ohio State University, and it was between a man named William Lane Craig, who's a great Christian apologist and an atheistic scholarship scholar, I'm sorry. And so the debate centered around the resurrection of Jesus. Did the resurrection happen? Was there enough evidence to conclude that there was a resurrection of Jesus? And I remember during this debate, the atheist questioned even the existence of Jesus. He questioned if Jesus even walked the earth. And when he did this, he was quickly blasted. Not just by Christians, but even by non-Christians. Because it was so absurd to even try and claim that Jesus never existed. I mean, history is just full of evidences of the existence of Jesus. Our calendars are based on, are centered around his existence and his impact. Archaeology has continually confirmed over and over and over his existence. Eyewitnesses to his life wrote about him. Uh, first century Jewish and historian Roman, or Roman historians talked about him. Roman emperors noticed what a change he had made in the lives of their subjects. Men and women throughout the centuries have given their life in service and in sacrifice and even in death to Jesus because of Jesus. The birth of Jesus was planned from the very beginning. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and he walked this earth. But we also know that the devil tried to cancel the birth of Jesus. He Tried to cancel it. The birth of the Messiah was prophesied about and the devil knew it was coming. And so he wanted to make sure it didn't happen. Why? Because the devil knew. He knows his destiny. And he knows why the Messiah, why Jesus would come. In 1 John 3, 8, we read that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And and, I don't know about you, but if I knew that someone was setting out to destroy me, to destroy my work, I think I would want to do something to try and stop it from happening, right? I would want to try and nip it in the bud. The devil knew that his destruction was part of the plan and purpose of God for the incarnation of Christ. And so he tried to stop it before it ever even started. Now, usually at this time of year, around Christmas, we turn to the Gospel of Matthew or to Luke to look at the birth of Christ. But we rarely turn to the book of of Revelation as we examine the Christmas story, right? Years ago, back in, in 2013, many of you may not have even been a part of, of Gateway at that time, but we did this series called The Story, and some of you might remember it. We spent over 30 weeks in this series as we walked through some of the major storylines and major themes of the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And one of the major themes that we discussed in that series is that every story of the Bible, from beginning to the end, there, there is a story, like lowercase s story, And then there is a bigger story, like capital S story that is taking place. And so we called it the lower story and the upper story. And and so the lower story, what we said, is is the one being told from a a six-foot perspective, from a horizontal human perspective. But the upper story is the one being written from God's perspective, a divine vertical perspective. And if you've been a follower of Christ for any length of time, you might start to, to get this, Right? You know what this means, that your lower story is the details of your daily life. And sometimes we can get real bogged down in the details of our daily lives, and sometimes we don't understand why this happened this way. But the upper story, the upper story is what God is doing in your life that ties you to what he's doing in the world. And when you understand how these two are working together, his story challenges you in every aspect of your life. For example, when I look back at the details of our adoption of my daughter, Avery, in the midst of it all, the the details of it all coming together, that that was the lower story. And again, I kind of got bogged down in those details because sometimes it was a bumpy road. Sometimes it was difficult and I didn't understand why some things were happening in that process. And so we could only see in part what God was doing. But again, we also felt the, the snags and the frustration along the way in this difficult process. But as I look back at it, I start to see more and more of the upper story of what God was really doing, how he was working behind the scenes and orchestrating all of these details that I could only see in a limited capacity. He was working them all together for his glory. And that story is still going on. And I hope to continue to look back at that story and continue to see even more of how God is working. And I hope that you also understand that, your, that God's story is still being written today. It's not over. And the amazing part about his story is that he allows you to play a role in his story. But make no doubt about it, this is his story. He just permits us to get involved in what he's doing. So back to the the Christmas story, the lower story shows us the human events of the Bible, right? So we get a feel for the lower story a little bit more by reading about the birth of Christ in Matthew and Luke. They give us all the details you might expect from a human perspective. You know, you read about the census and the, the, the wise men, the shepherds, the genealogy, the journey to Bethlehem, the manger. But the upper story shows us what God is doing in the human events of the Bible. And certainly we get some of the upper story when we read from Matthew and Luke. But we get a better idea of the upper story when we read about the birth of Christ in John's gospel, what we just read in John chapter 1. But we also get a glimpse of this upper story Almost like a peek behind the curtain when we look in the book of Revelation. And that's where I'd like us to turn today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, we get this crazy and incredible description of how the devil tried to cancel Jesus before he was even born. Revelation 12 is the literal and symbolic center of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation has 22 chapters. And so in the beginning part of chapter 12, we're really right in the middle. And some would say that this is the centerpiece of what this book is all about. So for 11 chapters of Revelation, you you see uh, tempted churches. You see suffering yet faithful churches. You see judgments on the earth. You see conflict in the world and you hear a call for us to overcome. And now we, we see the curtain pulled back and we start to see what's going on behind the scenes. With chapter 12's unveiling, you start to understand why there is struggle and suffering in this world. You begin to understand why the church faces difficulties and why my life and why your life is, is sometimes very hard. You start to understand why there's pandemics and pains, losses, and hurts, why so many people feel so hopeless and joyless. What is it that's behind this, this cosmic conflict? And the answer is this. It's that the devil is hell-bent on destroying people and destroying the church, and he was hell-bent on stopping the a Messiah from coming to this earth. But we also see that his efforts did not work. And so here's what we read, and it's in language that may be very difficult to understand at first, but we're going we're gonna to walk through it a little bit. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 says this. John sees this, this great sign. He says, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child... Her child was not devoured, but instead was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. So kind of an unusual passage, especially to bring about during Christmas time, right? But in this passage, we, we see three players in this cosmic unveiling. We see a woman, a dragon, and a child. And in chapter 12, we see that this woman and this child of hers, they're at war with the dragon. So let's clarify who these players are, and we're going to start with the easiest one to identify. Let's start with the dragon. The the dragon is the devil. And how do we know this? Because later in verse 9, we read that the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent, serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now, if you've read through Revelation, don't you wish that all of Revelation was this clear in its imagery? Here's the dragon, the dragon is Satan. It said so, right? You, you, that's just how it goes. But if you've read through Revelation, you know it's, it's sometimes hard to figure out the images and who represents or what represents who. But this time it's easy. Again, the, the red dragon is, is not St. Albans High School. Okay? It is Satan. D- Dave Martin was saying he went to St. Albans High School. He's like, I always wondered why we didn't win a state championship. It's because we were the devil. <laughs> so here's the dragon. The dragon is Satan. And, it, and, and so uh, there's a clear allusion, though, in this description to Genesis chapter 3. It says, That ancient serpent the one who was deceived by Adam and Eve in the garden, or the one who deceived Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. They sinned and with them, the whole world was led astray. So again, uh, here's how the red dragon is described. He's described as an enormous red dragon with seven heads, 10 horns, seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. So the dragon, first of all, is red. Why red? Well, because he is, he is fiery. He is vengeful. He has seven heads. This is a sign of his intelligence. He is cunning. He is deceitful. He knows what he is doing. He has ten horns, and these horns are a sign of his strength. So we talked a lot about this in our spiritual warfare series, right? That The devil is is smart, and the devil is powerful. Not all-knowing, not all-powerful, but but not to be messed with either, right? This is not an adversary that, that we should poke or play around with. It's not an adversary we should face alone, He's described as having seven crowns on his heads. And this indicates that he is is a prince of sorts. He He is the prince of this world. And he falsely claims authority. So if you read further in Revelation, you would read that Jesus Christ has crowns on his head. He is crowned king of kings and lord of lords with true authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. But Satan here is counterfeiting that authority. And again, we talked about this in our spiritual warfare series. This passage seems to indicate that that Satan took a third of the angels with him when he was cast out of heaven because of his arrogant pride. Uh, He tried to take the glory that only belonged to God. So the the point here is that the devil is strong. He is fierce. He is cunning. He is cruel. And as we'll see, he wants to thwart the plans of God. Next player. The next easiest player to figure out in this imagery is the child, this male child, this son. So the son uh, born of the woman is Jesus. Look at verse 5 again. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And this is a reference to Psalm chapter 2, which is a prophecy about the Messiah. Verse 8 and 9 says, Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. Or other translations say, you will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So this child born of a woman is none other than the long-awaited Messiah, who will rule over the nations, who will make the kingdom of this world the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And it kind of makes you want to sing Handel's Messiah, right? And he shall reign forever and ever. Look at the second verse of this, or second half of verse five. It says, her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. So this child, the son, was snatched up to God and to his throne. What is that all about? Well, this is a reference to Christ's Ascension and exaltation. So you have the devil who wants to defeat the son, but the son instead destroys the devil. He is triumphant. He ascends into heaven and he is exalted and given a place of authority at the right hand of God the Father. He reigns with him who sits on the throne. So the dragon is the devil. The son is Jesus. But what about this woman? Who is that? Well, this is where we get into a little bit of controversy. Many people see this as a reference to Mary. And, and you can see why, right? You've got a, a son, Jesus, birthed from a mother. and He was birthed from Mary. And Isaiah 7, which we read earlier, gives us this prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And many will tell you that this sign, this is the virgin giving birth. This is Mary. And after Jesus was born, Herod tried to have Jesus killed. So this would be like the devil trying to devour the child. But what happened? They, they fled. They left. They went to the wilderness or the desert. They, went, they fled to Egypt for a time. So that's, that's one possibility. Others see this uh, woman as, as symbolic of Mother Israel, meaning they see the woman as symbolic of God's people. Out of God's chosen people, out of the Israelites, a, a Messiah was birthed. So in a way, God's people were like an expectant mother awaiting this promised child, this promised Messiah. And yes, this child would be born from one woman, Mary. But in another sense, this, this, this woman could be seen as Eve, right? Because from her seed would come the one who would crush the head of the serpent. And in another sense, it, it would be everyone who had hoped, who had waited to see this child be born. Again, the whole nation of Israel was like an expectant mother, ready to give birth to this promised child. So which is it? Is it Mary? Is it Eve? Is it Israel? And the answer, yes. Probably all in some way. You know, It's really hard to say. In in typical revelation fashion, it could could be all possibilities. But what do we see happening in this scene? Well, back to verse 4, we see that the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. So we see the dragon, we see Satan trying to prevent this child from living. And you can look all throughout history. The devil has tried to thwart the plan of God. He's tried to prevent this Messiah from coming. He tried to do what he could to stop Jesus from being born and from living. So the people of God, they were waiting, expectant, ready for the birth of this child. But so was The devil. And he was ready to devour Jesus when he was born, but it didn't work. He didn't devour the child. God rescued the child. And so since this child survived, well, then the devil has been trying to deceive us ever since into living like Jesus never existed, and living like Jesus never came into this world, and living our lives like he doesn't make a difference. And so he would love to get you so busy that you don't notice Jesus. He'd like for you to focus on your problems, your fears, your situation, so much so that you ignore Jesus. Our culture would love if, you would, if, if we would never even mention Jesus. The devil tried to cancel the birth of Jesus, and though it didn't work for the devil, he still tries to cancel his influence today. But third thing you need to understand is that God would not let the birth of Jesus be stopped could not let it, he would not let it be stopped. God had a plan, and it's his story, and he gets to say how it goes and how it ends. So, so, so since we went to, to Revelation for a Christmas message, oh, well, let's might, might as well just jump to Genesis as well. <laughs> this is a very different type of Christmas message, isn't it? In Genesis chapter 3, we read of sin entering into the world And we read of the consequences and we discover that sin leads to death and not just physical death but eternal separation from God in hell. But in the midst of of God describing the consequences of sin, God curses Satan and he makes a very prophetic statement about the descendant of this woman, Eve. We read this in in Genesis 3.14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, said to Satan, because you have done this, because you have deceived Adam and Eve, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and will eat dust all the days of your life. Isn't it kind of interesting to think that the serpent may have been upright before this curse? Kind of strange to think of. But then God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. Meaning this, we will have a constant enemy. Forever the descendants of Eve, all people, we will be at war with this serpent, the devil. But then God points to to one of Eve's offspring that will do something about this enemy. He says, he, this, this chosen offspring, will crush your head. He's saying this to the serpent. This offspring will crush your head, Satan, and you, Satan, will strike his heel. So God is saying there will be one who comes who will defeat Satan. He will crush him. But the devil will injure this offspring. And this is, this is a reference, this is a prophecy pointing to how Satan will think that he has landed a death blow to the Messiah. When Jesus died on that cross, the devil thought he won, but it really was only a nip at the heel of Jesus. Because the resurrection of Jesus was a resounding defeat of Satan. And it will crush his head. So rather than the devil devouring the child, this child lives and reigns and crushes Satan. And we could say that Jesus' life could be summarized in three words. Cradle, cross, and crown. His birth, his death, his resurrection and glorification. So what do we do with all this? Again, this is Quite an unusual Christmas message, right? Does this really matter for anything? Here's what I want you to understand today. I want you to understand, and, and I kind of feel like we've pressed into this theme for the past couple of months. I want you to understand that there are all sorts of spiritual forces. And there is an evil one working against you. This evil one is working against you and he does not want you to keep believing that God is good and that he is sovereign and that you are forgiven in Christ. And as we pull back the curtain a little bit on this upper story today, we see that there is a liar, a deceiver, a destroyer who hates the church and wants you to hate this child or at least least be distracted. Maybe distracted at this time by all the Christmas gifts and lights and and decorations that you don't think to love this child. He wants you to to disbelieve in God's promises. He wants you to look at all the chaos and all of the problems of this world, and for you to believe that there is no hope. But I also want you to see that behind this veil stands a victorious king. A victorious king who loves you, who died for you, who wants what is good for you and what will bring him glory. And so this Christmas, may we be reminded that our God cannot be stopped. Though there were attempts to stop him and stop his plans, he cannot be stopped. And there is hope for this world. Though we live in a time where sometimes we feel so hopeless and things seem so chaotic and everything's being canceled and we feel like we're so isolated, there is hope for the world. And there is hope for you. And this hope has a name. His name is Jesus. He came some 2,000 years ago wrapped in flesh and wrapped in swaddling cloth lying in a manger for a purpose to some 33 years later go to a cross and die on the cross for your sins and defeat death by being resurrected and he reigns victorious today. We have hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even in the, the chaos of the, the lower story, the details of this human life, that we can have hope that you are working behind the scenes. That all throughout the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, we see this story coming to fruition. That you had a plan for the redemption of all mankind. And that plan was always Jesus. So we thank you that he came to this world. We thank you that he left the glories of heaven and made himself nothing, made himself human, a baby who needed cared for. We thank you for his life. We thank you for what he taught, what he said, what he did. We thank you that because he came in flesh, we could know you. Because if we see Jesus, we see you. Thank you that he he gave us an example to follow with his life, with his love, with his love for you, loving you with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his love for people. We thank you for prophecy and promise fulfilled by his sacrifice, when he willingly went to the cross, gave his life for us, and took his sin upon himself on the cross so that we could take his righteousness and have it put on us. And we thank you that after his death on that third day, he rose again, victorious over death, sin, and the grave. We thank you that because of his his resurrection and because of his glorification that we can have hope that that resurrection power is living inside of us today. That we can be resurrected from our old lives of sin and slavery to new life here on earth in Christ. But even more, we can have the promise and hope of new resurrected life for eternal life. Eternal life with you. And so God, that, that Christmas morning when Jesus was born was not the beginning. You had a plan in place from the beginning. We thank you that that plan was completed. And Now we live with hopeful expectation that we will one day be with our victorious King again. It's in his mighty name I pray. Amen. And so this morning we want to offer you that that hope that only Jesus brings. If you have never given your life to Christ, submitted to him, trusted in him and his work on the cross for your salvation, we want to invite you to accept this gift that he has given you. To confess him as Lord, repent of your sin and turn to him and be baptized if you've not been. Or maybe today you just need some prayer. This can be a very hard time for a lot of people. And maybe this year it's especially hard. And maybe you just need prayer right now because you're you're having a hard time seeing hope. You're you're having a hard time seeing that hope that came in flesh. And so if you just need some prayer, I'd love to pray with you as well. I'm going to be up here to your right as we sing this last song. We stand and sing?